if you would, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 7. Before we start, though, I want to take a moment and, uh, and look back for a moment. Uh, look back at the passage that we have before us. Uh, look back at, at where we've been uh, so far. What I want you to notice is there's a pattern that has developed in, 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 in this book of Acts thus far that, that we see that Luke has developed, that, that has developed within the church. Uh, in Acts chapter 1, you can see uh, that, there's a, that there's an issue that arises. There's, there's supposed to be 12 disciples, and, and yet we only have 11. And, and, and so they go about and they, and they pick, uh, they go about choosing another disciple to replace Judas, the one that, the disciple that betrayed Jesus. Secondly, you can read that uh, about the Pentecost. You, you see Peter's Pentecost me message in chapter 2. And, and you see that the word goes forth and, and, and thousands are added to their number. Then we read about a, a blind man in, in chapter 3 and, and how, he's, how he's healed. You can read again in chapter 4, Peter and John are, are being persecuted against. And, and the word goes forth, and thousands are added to their number again. You see, there's, there's this pattern that arises that an issue comes up. The apostles handle this issue, and, and the word goes forth, and thousands are added, or many are added to their number. This morning, I think that you can see this entire pattern in, in the seven verses that we have this morning. Uh, the, the title of my sermon this morning is, Is Your Church Spirit-Filled? This is maybe one of the most important questions that, that you can ask about your church. Is your church spirit-filled? It's been said that if you, if you find the perfect church, that you shouldn't join it. And that's because you're going to screw it up. We're all a bunch of sinners. We're all flawed in some way, and there's no perfect church. We have this idea, though, that there's, there's a model church out there. We see these churches that have, that have thousands of people in their church. Somehow they're supposed to be the model of what church is supposed to be, and yet some of them are not spirit-filled at all. There is no model church. Whether they're big or small, every church is flawed because they're led by flawed people. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word this morning again in Acts 6 verses 1 through 7. Bear with me as we read some of these names. They're a little tough. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because, because, their, widow, uh, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we should appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Parochus, and Nicaor, and Timion, 
and Parmenius and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I just pray for a blessing on our time as we, as we dive into this passage. What a great passage it is to, to, to really evaluate where our church is, to, where, to really evaluate where our leadership is, to really evaluate where our hearts are. Lord, I pray that, that you would be with us this morning, that we would not just take away some pithy truths of, of this passage, but this would really impact our our daily lives, the way that we view the world, the way that we love one another. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing we see is that that churches will experience conflict. First, we must look at the size of this church. Remember, going back to chapter 1, and and this will be kind of a theme of, uh, of of these verses, is is that when we look back at chapter 1, there's 120 in this church. Now there's, there's over 12 to 14,000, we estimate. So at the beginning of this church, they're, they're shepherding about 10 people. That, that's a relatively easy number to shepherd. Now they're shepherding somewhere about 12 to 1,400 people, these apostles are. What a daunting task that would be. But every church is going to experience conflict because we're all flawed. The first thing that we see about this is that the the complaint that arose was complicated. The first reason for this was was an administrative failure. You see, in the Jewish synagogues, they they twice a week took took um, an offering, both of money and of goods, to distribute to those that, that couldn't provide for themselves. And so when the Christians started uh, expanding their church, they, they were not welcome as, as readily in the, in the synagogues because there was a difference of view there. So the apostles continued this and was distributing the, these goods on their own. As they collected, as they took these offerings of both money and goods. They would distribute them to the, to the widows. And this became increasingly difficult with the size, the way the church grew. This complaint was also uh, brought to the apostles' attention was an important one. This word complaint could be translated in the, in the, back into the Hebrew as grumbling. And nowhere in scripture do we find grumbling being okay. It's always presented as a sin. This is something that's welling up from within you. Grumbling is always a sin. Exodus 15.24 says, And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Deuteronomy uh, Deuteronomy 1.27 says, And you murmured or grumbled in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt, to give us into the hand of the, of the Amorites to destroy us. Now, now here, Moses is leading these people out, out, of, out of Egypt into the promised land. And the, and the people know where they're going. They see a pillar of fire. They, 
in many ways or in the presence of God much like, much like we don't see today. And yet they're grumbling against God. There are many other verses in Scripture that, that say these same, same things. The point that I'm making is first that the, the widows are probably not the ones bringing this complaint. They're a voiceless people in this culture. They're powerless. They, they're, they're, they're the poor ones. They don't have money. They don't have a voice. We can see this in our, in, in our world today. We see that, that in many cases, orphans and widows in, in our world, they don't have a voice. This is where the church needs to step in and be the voice for these people. Second, this, this could have been a rumor that, that welled up within, within the church. This might not have been brought directly to, to the apostles, that this could have taken some back channel and, and the apostles heard about it. We're only told that a complaint arose. This complaint was a legitimate one and had to be handled. Not to do so would have been an epic failure by the, by the church leaders. To take care of widows is not something that is simply an Old Testament mandate, but one that we should be fulfilling today. James says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, is God the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their, in their affliction. 1 Timothy 5, write that down. 1 Timothy 5 gives great insight into how to take care of these, of these people that can't take care of themselves. The second thing we see is the conflict had serious consequences. This conflict or complaint had some serious ramifications that could have arose out of it. If it was not handled in the proper way, we, we can all think of times or issues that we have at, at home or at work where our hindsight is always 2020. We We would handle an argument with our wives differently or our husbands. We would handle an issue that comes up at work differently. First, this could have ended up in a church split. We have two different people groups in this, in this, uh, in this passage. We know that the majority of the people here are, are Jewish Christians that, that are living in Israel. The other group are these Hellenists, but who are they? Well, as I did my studying for this, for this sermon, it's, it's, it was very interesting that, that most everybody was pointing back to that these were Jewish, that these were Jews as well, that were exiled when they, when they were taken into Babylon. And that they didn't return with Nehemiah when Nehemiah brought the Jews back to Israel. And so, so they would have taken on a uh, the, the language of the day, that wh whoever they were being conquered by. So first it was Babylon, and then it was, then it was Persia. And then, then because Alexander the Great took over the known world, it would have become Greek. And so now you have these Greek-speaking Jews that are returning back to Israel. It's interesting that, that one commentator said that it would have been virtuous for, for people to return to Israel to be buried. Because otherwise, they would ha once they were buried in, in the ground, they would have to roll underground 
to make it back to Israel because that's the only way they can make it to heaven, to be in the promised land. They would have found this virtuous. This would have meant that there would have been a disproportionate amount of old, older people, probably mainly wid widows because the men didn't live, live as long at that time. So there would have been a disproportionate amount of widows among these Hellenists. And if not handled properly, this would have, as I said, ended up in a church split. So you would have had the first church, the first Hellenistic Christian church of Jerusalem, and directly across the street, you would have had the first Jewish Christian church of Jerusalem. It's interesting, we see that so much in our culture today. You go into, into towns and you see two different churches directly across the street from one another. And secondly, this could have unified the church. We see at the end of our passage how, uh, how, the, how the apostles handled this conflict and, and, and how it brought the church together. And I'll talk about that more in a few minutes. Our church is no different than this one, though. The scenario that we see before us, uh, we could easily see her here at Village Bible Church. When we look at Village Bible Church as a whole, it's, it's interesting. We're, here we're in, at, any, at our Indian Creek campus in rural DeKalb County. You go a few miles to the east, and, and we have a Sugar Grove campus that, that looks and feels a lot, a lot of the same as this one does, except much, much bigger. You go into Aurora, and, and, and at our Aurora campus, it's very multi multicultural. They're, they're ministering to people that are from Africa and Europe, from, from South America. Downstairs there uh, of the Aurora campus, they have an all spe Spanish-speaking ca campus. Now you can see that, that these cultural differences, these language barriers, could easily be found here in Village Bible Church. These issues could split us. But that's not a reason to split. First, we, we, the first thing that we see uh, that could split us would be doctrinal issues. Issues such as lordship, salvation, or the Car Calvinists are many in debate that never ceases to end, or your view on the end times. The second thing that we see in church splits is interpersonal conflict. This would Im include things like uh, lying, uh, preferential treatment of some but not others. You can find that in James. Lastly, it would be corporate preferences. The length of the service, I will try and have you guys out of here by 1230 at the earliest today. How we pray or how we take communion, the way we grew up, uh, should, should you be christened or should you be baptized? Do you have to be baptized at all? All of these would be found in this church. And all of these could in some churches, and have in some churches, caused division or split the church completely. In order to, to, to handle this conflict completely, this, this, this legitimate complaint that, that, was, that arose within this church, the church leaders would have had to lead. And I know that sounds simple. I know that sounds simplistic. They had to have strong direction in what should or should not happen in this church. 
But leaders can easily give up leadership, give leadership that is simply from a worldly perspective. We need leaders that are spirit-filled. The spirit leader, uh, leadership involves uh, four things. Serving the needs of the people. In verse 1, we can, we can see that Luke is telling us that there is a need of these Hellenistic widows that need to be met. There's no denying that. They were not getting fed what these other Jewish Christians' widows were being fed. This means that the, that the apostles needed to take a step that, to meet these needs, a practical step. The Hellenistic Jews that may have come from ba Babylon or Asia Minor may have different cultural issues also or, or uh, that the apostles need to take into account. Also, you can see that, that these apostles aren't sitting on their proverbial, proverbial ivory tower. They're getting their hands dirty in the business of the church. The second thing we see is, is the shepherding of the people. One of the biggest problems is that when we get involved with the issues uh, of, of the lives in, in, in church, that one need may be met, but others will fall by the wayside. It seems, that, though, that, uh, that this is going to happen here in this complaint. It's, it's interesting. I, I really had to ponder what, what these apostles were talking about here. Because it sounds like they're going to neglect the widows here in the church. Their reply in, in verse 2 and again in verse 4 says, It is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. And then in verse 4, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They are making sure that the word of God is of the utmost importance and is being preached. This is their number one call as the only apostles. They are to make sure that the, that the gospel and the word of God goes forth and being devoted in prayer. The point is, is that the spiritual condition of the church is the number one priority of church. It comes before anything else. You can have a thousand full stomachs and yet still go to hell if the word is not being preached and the people's lives are not being changed for Jesus Christ. The priority, though, is to make sure these 14,000 people or so that are in this church are spiritually being taken care of. You know, this, is our, this is our goal here at Village Bible Church. It's to make sure the spiritual needs for you in these congregations of all four campuses are being taken care of first. For the elders here this morning, the question is, are you shepherding these people properly? Are you making sure that the word is of your highest priority? Are these people being taken care of? I can witness, I can be a witness here this morning that, that on Monday at my very first elder meeting, um, this is the number one priority. We spend an hour and a half praying for our congregations, praying for our, for our communities, worshiping and, 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 and asking how can the word go forth 
in our communities. This is the highest priority for us. If you're new to the church and haven't heard some of these words like gospel or good news, let me share with you for a moment what this means. First, that you recognize that you're a sinner, that we're all in the same boat together, that none of us are, are any better than anyone else. We're all in the same sinking ship of sinfulness. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This means that your preacher here this morning is a sinner, and maybe more so than you. This sin separates us from God. That those that are, that are, only those that are perfect can go to heaven. Which means no one. This is where God loved us so much that he gave that he gave his one and only son, John 3.16 says. That when, we, uh, when Jesus lived that perfect life and laid himself on that cross, that he paid for our sins past, present, and future. John 3.16 doesn't stop there, but continues and says, uh, whomever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting, everlasting life. Friends, that's the gospel. That's that's what we're thankful about this morning. Um, now the food smells good and, and our families are here. We have friends. And, and that's great. But this is where our hope is found. This is where we are able to be thankful. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, For I delivered you as, uh, as of first importance that I would also receive that I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is where our hope is found. There's no way that, that Jesus could stay dead in that grave because he overcame it. He was bigger than death itself. This hope has, has gotten me through, through many, many, many hard times. I think of almost 12 years ago, uh, I think of my brother Jeff. I think of the hope that my family had in those days in December when we found when we found out that he died in a car accident. I think of the the look that I when I looked in my father's eyes and and, and the look of distress that he had, and the in the days after the hope that he had that he would see his son again one day, not because of anything that that any of us have done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. I think of, of the hard times in my marriage when it seemed like, like Becky and I wouldn't be married anymore. And the hope that both of us had in Jesus to restore that marriage. Jesus is bigger than the greatest issues of our lives and, and, and the things that we bear. This has been a tough week for this community. A lot to bear in this community. Jesus says, though, in Matthew 11, 28 and 30 through 30, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and I will be gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus wants us to lean on him when things are great. And he wants us to lean on him when, when we reach the darkest of times. This was the message that the, 
that the apostles continued to, to preach over and over again. This is the message that continued to change thousands of lives in this early church. This is the message that we preach here at Village Bible Church that continue to change lives today. The fact that the apostles' first priority was the word of God, though did not give them the right to intentionally or unintentionally discriminate against these Hellenistic Jewish Christians. Jesus, uh, or sorry, just, in our, just as in our church, first and foremost is the, is the important decision that the word of God is going forth. Secondly, is that the people still have real issues in their lives. Our number one priority is that the word would go forth. Our second priority is that your spiritual, or our, that your spiritual needs are being taken care of, and then your practical needs. If you have needs, let your church know. That's what we're supposed to do is come around and rally around one another. If you think that this is a radical idea, just look at how Jesus... Uh, how, how he fed the 5,000. He preached a sermon for, for hours, the Sermon on the Mount, and then turned around and, and fed 5,000 with loaves and fishes. The word went forth, and he turned around and met the practical needs of the people. You can see from our text that it was, uh, you can see from our text that it was not only the Hellenist, or it was only the Hellenistic widows that had this complaint. The Jewish widows were being taken care of. I don't think that this, again, that this was an, was an intentional one, but simply an oversight in the system that was set up. A spirit-filled church also has to have leaders that have good decision-making. You can see how the Apostles went about making this decision in verses 3 and 5. The apostles gathered together the whole congregation. Um, the apostles gathered together either the whole congregation of the, pe of the people or just the Hellenists. We're not told. We're told that, um, that they gathered. But nonetheless, they said, Therefore, brothers, pick from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will point to this duty. The duty is taking care of or feeding these widows. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. You see, at some point, decisions have to be made and direction has to be taken care of. I work for local government and it's interesting how many committees that are formed and, and, and task force that are, that are set up to take care of issues that come up within government, to take care of the issues that are that arise within, within our systems. How many times nothing comes of, 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 the, of the decisions that are made from these committees or task force? There's real issues that are taking place here, and a committee or task force isn't going to take care of this issue. What's going to take care of this issue is food and money. That's what's going to feed these widows. But how do they get it there? You have a church of 14,000, and roughly half of them are, are, are women. And a portion of those are going to be widows. There was no real time to form a committee. But this complaint was not unfounded, and the widows still needed to get fed. It seems, though, that the, that the apostles made their decision 
that would be the most logical. Pick from you seven people. Designating of other leaders is the next point. There is, a, there is an innate problem that comes with church. Remember, though, that, that when church, when this church was in the upper room, they're, they're, they're at 120 people. And now they've exploded to, in a few months to, to over 14,000. The people that needed to be taking care of this issue needed to be those that are closest to the situation. That's what happens in, in our church as well. The Hellenists chose seven men from this congregation. What they said pleased the whole gathering. Though we're not told exactly how this meeting takes place, we do know that the whole gathering, that means the Hebrew Christians and the Hellenist Christians were, were pleased. The fact that the apostles led the church in spite of the differences should be a great example for the elders and deacons here at Village Bible Church. We see that this decision to choose uh, seven men pleased the whole congregation, but what was the result? Well, seven men were chosen using the guidelines that the apostles had set up before the people. They said, therefore, brothers, pick, from, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. The apostles did not just designate seven men that could fill a, could fill a job. They weren't just looking for people with heartbeats. Uh, this is not what we seek here at Village Bible Church either. We seek people that really desire, have a heart to be in that ministry. The apostles weren't just seeking salesmen or someone making widgets. This was the calling, this was a calling that was now on these men. They were responsible for this and would be held accountable. One of the qualifications for this position was to be full of the Spirit. One commentator said that, that all people are full of something, but these men were full of the Spirit. Now you see these men have real tangible responsibility for others in the church. These men needed an extra measure of the Spirit, which is why you see the apostles laying of hands. They needed an extra measure of the Spirit. They laid their hands and they prayed over them. And this happens in our church as well. Just a few weeks ago, uh, myself along with seven other men at, at the Sugar Grove campus were appointed as, as new elders in the church. And we were brought up on stage and, 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 the, and the other elders laid their hands on us and prayed for us. We do this when, uh, when missionaries are going out or when they come in from the field. We pray for them. We lay our hands on them, asking for the Spirit to be on them. This leadership can be seen in our households as well. I, I think of, of, of my children and, and, and the work that they do around the house. They, they are old enough now to mow the lawn and, and pick, up, pick up in the house. They, um, uh, they vacuum. They, they do the dishes. At least my older two do. Noah, who's five, my youngest, uh, is now getting to the point where he can start providing some of this, this work that needs to be done. 
looking at his personality, I don't think he's going to be as eager to help as, as the other two are. But the, my two oldest, Jake and Emma, they need leadership. They're, their first reaction is, isn't to come home from school and, and to do yard work, uh, to vacuum the house or, or do the dishes. They need someone to help them along the way of that. The point is, is that we all have a role to play in this organization that is our church. That we're all not gifted in the same areas. We are called the body of Christ, though. Some will be elders or deacons. Others will serve behind the scenes in children's ministry or making sure that the church looks good for the, for the season's events. I can assure you, one of the most important people in our preaching ministry doesn't even want to be on stage, ever. Missy Kirkland provi provides the bulletin inserts that you see each week. She puts our, uh, our sermons on the internet. She provides a, an awesome task, things that we, we as men are probably really terrible at. It takes me 20 minutes to type up your outline. But she, somehow she provides all this for all four campuses. She's vital to the preaching ministry. As a director of men's ministry, I have people that are underneath me that help me with many things, and, and, and those men have, have men underneath them providing help. This is the same in women's ministry and children's ministry and so on. There may be a face or a person that you go to for that ministry, but the work, the major work that is done is done by the church. That's everyone. There's, a, there's many moving pieces behind the scenes, and we all have a role to play in the ministry that happens here at Village Bible Church. The last thing we see in this first church is, is the spirit-filled church will grow. Before we continue, though, I want to make it clear that, that we're not guaranteed anything. The spirit-filled church is going to grow. How do we know that? We see that the church has grown from 120 people to millions around the world. Spirit-filled church will grow. We can labor doing the right things in church. Our missionaries go out among the world, but we're not guaranteed anything. The early church continued to spread the word, though. Just as I stated above, the main focus of the apostles was for the word of God to be taught. When this happens, the church will grow. In verse 7, we see, uh, we read that, and the word of God continued to increase. What this means is that the apostles got it right when they did not neglect the teaching of the word for the waiting of tables. This increase, much the same that we, see, that we have seen in our church. When Becky and I started attending Village Bible Church 17 years ago, there was only about 150, 150 to 200 people in one service at our Sugar Grove campus. Now, 17 years later, there's, there's six to 700 that meet there on a Sunday morning in the congregation. So the word of God increased. We see it in Aurora when, we, when Village Bible Church adopted that campus. And now they have two services, and it's a multicultural camp. It's a multicultural service. They're... They're spreading the word in other languages as well. It's being translated during the service. 
so that those that speak other languages can understand what Pastor Travis is saying on a week-to-week -week basis. It increased again as, as we adopted this campus at Indian Creek. Again, when, when we formed the Spanish-speaking campus, El Camino, that meets at the Aurora campus. The word of God is going forth here at Village Bible Church. Next, we see that they experienced conversions. This church saw, uh, also saw many conversions. Again, we go back to chapter 1. You had 120 believers. This is like the greatest underdog story ever. You have two harsh political systems above them. You have the Roman government, maybe one of the harshest governments that's ever been around. You have a Jewish uh, hierarchy that is above them as well that hated the message of Jesus. And yet, yet you have 120 people here. Now, in just a few months after, after Christ's ascension, the church is 15, 14, 15,000 strong. One of the greatest underdog stories ever. Verse 7 continues and said, and, their num and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Now, why were they seeing a conversion rate so high? Why were they seeing it then, and why don't we see it now? Truthfully, we don't know. We don't have, we as a preaching team have no control over who believes and who doesn't. That's not my job. That's not the job of your elders. Our job is to make sure that the word of God continues to go forth. But what is all of our responsibility is in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus tells us, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy, Holy Spirit, teaching them, teaching them to, obey, to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is our responsibility, responsibility as Village Bible Church. This is your responsibility as a, as a Christian to the world. The last area that marks the spirit-filled church is a changed culture. Verse 7 says at the end, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Think about this for a moment. This is a huge statement. Again, you have, you have these political systems, and, and, and one of them is, is the Jewish church. The Jews that are in the temple, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that are persecuting these Christians. But there's people within these synagogues, that are, these priests that are taking care of the church. They have a role to play within this. In many cases, they're on the same side as, as these Pharisees and Sadducees that are providing this persecution. And now these priests have been so changed in their heart that they are being obedient to the faith. That's an amazing, amazing statement. Jesus tells us that the world will know that we are believers by the love that we have for one another. Here's the crazy thing about these markers again. We may have a healthy church where needs are being met. 
The gospel is being preached, and we are living in one accord, just as, as these Christians were in the first century church. But none of that guarantees that our church is going to increase. We don't have control over that. We have missionaries that go around the world into, into mission fields in Papua New Guinea, in Africa, in Asia, in the United States, in South America, trusting that, that God's wor word will go forth and that lives will be changed. And we have a mission field here. We have a mission field here in the Fox Valley area. The, the word of God is not simply to go forth from the pastor's mouths, but also yours. You're called to share the gospel with those around you, not simply in your actions. Being a great person is great. But if you don't share the gospel with your mouth, you can't believe without hearing. So go forth. Share the word of God. Spread the gospel.